Hello there, Dave here, and welcome to the Tales from the Backlog 2023 Year in Review. In this episode, we'll kind of reflect back on the year 2023 in gaming. I will talk about the games that were released in 2023 that I played, and I will give five honorable mentions in alphabetical order, and then a top five in order before crowning my game of the year for 2023. I don't think that a podcast has ever done this before at the end of the year, you know, list their favorite games that they played, or maybe even the best. Uh, Maybe we should call it a game of the year podcast. Uh, Hmm, we need an acronym. GOTY, G-O-T-Y. How does that sound? We've never heard that before. I think I just created something. Hell yeah. Good job, Dave. So this episode, I will be going through my favorites that released in the year 2023. 2023 has been a fantastic year for video gaming. Uh, Some of the best games that I've played in recent memory came out this year. I remember putting together my list for 2022 and kind of not like not scraping and putting games in the top 10 that I didn't think deserved to be there, but it was certainly an easier choice for the top 10 than this year. This year, there are games left out of my top 10 that I think are pretty damn good and worthy of being there. There was just a lot of quality, a lot of good stuff. And there's a lot of stuff that I didn't even play this year. I didn't play Spider-Man 2, Armored Core 6, Dave the Diver, Starfield, Alan Wake 2, Cocoon, Super Mario Wonder, Pikmin 4, Mario RPG, Lies of P, Pizza Tower. Like my voice can't go any higher. I, there's a lot of stuff that I didn't play that I think will be on a lot of people's 2023 Game of the Year lists. So it's been a just a, a crazy year for quality video games. It's also been a crazy year for the industry. So on one hand, we have had just a historic level of very good video games being released. And on the other hand, we have had a historic level of the people who make video games and cover video games being fucked over by their employers or due to, you know, market circumstances or whatever, closing down altogether just because it's just uh, it's it's so difficult to survive out there in the industry. And I, you know, this isn't going to be a podcast talking all about the industry things. But I do want to kind of say that there is room for nuance out there in these end of the year conversations. There are people out there who will jump at the chance. If you say 2023 has been great for video games, they could say, how how could you say it's been a great year for video games? People are losing their jobs. And like, yes, that's true. And that fucking sucks. Uh, Embracer, go to hell. Well, they are, but Embracer Group is fucking everyone over right now. Uh, at the time of recording, we just read about uh, some layoffs right before Christmas. There you go. Uh, so we have that, and we acknowledge that, and we can criticize that. We can criticize these, you know, companies that buy up, you know, gaming journalism websites and then lay off the writers because, oh, surprise, that doesn't make them a whole lot of money. I wonder what they expected. We can talk about both of these things. We can criticize the bad stuff and we can celebrate the good stuff at the same time. As always, we're begging for just a little bit of nuance from gamers. Capital G, gamers. Are you capable of it? I think you are. So 
when we do these end of the year wrap ups. We have room for both. Now I'm going to focus on the games today, but I just did want to throw that out there that we can do both and we can criticize the bad parts of the industry while celebrating the amazing art that has been produced. So with all of that being said, into 2023, I played 16 games that released this year out of the 71 games that I completed at the time of recording in mid-December 2023. Now you may be thinking, well, 16 out of 71, what about those other 55 games? I want to hear which of those you liked. Well, good news. On patreon.com slash realdavejackson, the top games that I played for the first time in 2023 episode is already up there, and it's available for all patrons starting at $2 per month. You can go sign up. That's a great way to support the show. Obviously not expected, but there's a little bonus if you do want to support that way. You can listen to that episode. You can listen to a lot of other bonus episodes. You'll be able to vote in the polls that I do for what games I cover on the show. A lot of the games I played this year, well, a lot, 12 of them to be, <laughs> to be exact, were chosen in these monthly polls. So that kind of support is very much appreciated and you get some treats as well. But for the stuff in 2023, um, I, I'm just going to touch on the games that did not make the top 10. In alphabetical order, Dredge, which was episode 75 of the podcast. Shout out to the great Jill Grote for joining me on that podcast uh, from the Indian former. I thought Dredge was good, good game, and we praised it a lot on the podcast. And then since then, I went entire months without thinking about dredge so it's not really a knock on dredge it just didn't leave a lasting impression i think it's a good game it just kind of disappeared from my memory and got replaced with things that made more of an impact the next game that did not make the list is final fantasy 16 which was episode 96 of the podcast with the great rick firestone and the great eric guess from pixel project radio and the unlockables respectively Final Fantasy 16 is the winner of the looks better on paper than it actually is and the less than the sum of its parts award. Final Fantasy 16 is not a bad game, but it is disappointing in a lot of ways. And I, I really think the best way to sum it up would be that it is less than the sum of its parts. The next game outside of the top 10 is Like a Dragon Ishin, which was episode 74 with the powerful Nave from Gaming Together Podcast. Nave joined me for that. I liked Like a Dragon Ishin. It's a Yakuza game, and I like all of the Yakuza games. It's a cool game. You get to see your characters from the rest of the series play dress up. Sengoku period dress up. There's another Yakuza game that made more of an impact on me this year. Ishin's not a bad game by any means. Good game, just not in the top 10. Next one on the outside looking in is Mr. Saito. I did not do a podcast about that. That one was just for me. I did stream it. Uh, I played this because of the Gaming in the Wild Discord server has a monthly single sitting social games club, games that you can sit down and play in less than two hours. And Mr. Saito is one of those. I thought that game was good. It's cute. It's heartfelt, but it's just a little bit too slight. You know, there, there is a message, there, there is some thematic material 
but outside of the top 10. Not a bad game. Good game. Just just a cute little experience. That's how I'll remember that. Next is Redfall on the outside looking in. Uh, Redfall sucked straight up. This was episode 83 of the podcast with uh, Nick and Will from Friday Night Gamecast. Shout out to Nick and Will for beating that game to join me on the podcast. Redfall was the worst game I played in 2023. Straight up bad game. The last of the games that are on the outside looking in is Sea of Stars, which was episode 97 of the podcast with Aaron Angle and Ryan Arrington. Sea of Stars is kind of like Final Fantasy 16, except I liked Sea of Stars more than 16. Sea of Stars has good mechanics, solid battle system, very good boss fights, really nice aesthetics. Uh, I thought that the story was bad, and I disliked Sea of Stars' approach to retro nostalgia. You know, games that are aiming to tap into your nostalgia from games of yesteryear. Uh, there are different approaches that different games take, and I did not appreciate the way that Sea of Stars did it. So it's on the outside looking in. Again, not a bad game, not even close. A lot of stuff to like, but just not in the top 10. So those are the games on the outside looking in. Before I get into the top 10, we have a lot of community submissions to shout out in this episode. I asked in the Discord server for people to share their top three games that released in 2023. And we have quite a bit of them, and I've broken them up, so I'm going to do some now, I'm going to do some later, and then what I always do in these wrap-up episodes is, after I give one of my games, if there's somebody who had the same game on their list, then I'll do it then. I'll save them, and I'll say, here's someone who agrees with me, and then I'll give their list too. So if I don't read your list right now, it's coming later. Don't worry. So first up are the people that did not agree with me. Just kidding. Love you, everybody who submits. Uh, first up is Charlie. Charlie's one of our patrons. Thank you so much, Charlie. Charlie's number three game from 2023 is Hogwarts Legacy. I did not play that. Number two, Final Fantasy 16, And number one, God of War Ragnarok. Charlie says, I only played two 2023 releases, and this was close enough. Uh, you know what? Charlie, you're a patron. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Thanks, buddy. Next is The Artful Scruff. One of our Discord community members, what's up, Scruff? Number three, Armored Core 6. Number two, Remnant 2. And number one, Alan Wake 2. Three games that I did not play that I bet are good. I hope to play them all sometime. Remnant just went on Game Pass, so maybe that's, that's the ticket. Next up is Aaron from Super Pod Saga. Aaron's number three is Etrian Odyssey HD. Number two, Pizza Tower. Really want to play Pizza Tower. And number one, Wild Frost. I know Aaron got in some real sicko hours with Wild Frost. Next up is Pie Boy. Pie Boy's number three is The Talos Principle 2. Number two is Book of Hours. And number one, Six Ages 2, colon, Lights Going Out. All the hype around The Talos Principle 2 has made me more excited for it than I was uh, originally. I liked the first game. The first game got way too hard for me at a certain point, but I am interested in the Talos Principle 2 for sure. So thank you, Pie Boy. And last but not least for this section is Chris, aka Vertigo to Hell. You can catch Chris on Twitch at Vertigo to Hell. 
And Chris joined me on the podcast episode for one of the games in my top 10. Ah ha ha ha. Chris's number three is Teleforum. Number two is Killer Frequency. And number one is Amnesia the Bunker. Amnesia seems cool to me from a distance. It looks way too scary, but I appreciate anyone who's making immersive sims in the year 2023. So thank you, Chris. Now it's time to get into the honorable mentions for the top games of 2023. The honorable mentions are in alphabetical order. And like I said, there are a lot of worthy games that didn't even make the honorable mentions. So the honorable mentions still We've got special stuff in here. So without any further ado, let's listen to some music from the first honorable mention. The first honorable mention is Bleak Sword DX. Now Bleak Sword, which is developed by More 8-Bit, and published by Devolver Digital. This is from 2019, but it was mobile only until this year. Uh, it was on Apple Arcade, and that's why I think I didn't hear about this game until the DX version, which released on Switch and Steam, was announced. And as soon as I saw a trailer for this, I was immediately hooked by it. It's diorama style. Every level is a little diorama. Souls-like combat arena the levels are short they're like i don't know maximum five minutes long like they're they're very short but they're they're often challenging and you're not gonna like die 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 succeed on every one of the levels a lot of them you'll beat on your first try but it does have a nice level of challenge and it has a really old school progression system as you go through the different levels that make up the worlds and then the different worlds that make up the game. After every level, you might, you'll get experience points, you might level up, you might get an item to go in one of your two item slots. It's a very simple RPG progression system, but it works really well as it has a, a roguelike feel to it, but it's not a roguelike game. Your progression is permanent all the time. If you die, you have a chance to go back and beat the level you died on to get your experience back. So there's another one of those Souls-like things. But the thing that really drew me into it was the aesthetic. Like I said, there's those dioramas, but it has this just undeniable, striking black, white, and red color scheme. Everything in the game is black and white, and then there's red stuff for dramatic effect. Whether it's in set decorations or whether it's, you know, grass or something on an enemy. It's, it's all really, really good. All it really takes is one screenshot that you see from Bleak Sword DX. And I think you'll see what I'm getting at here. So this was a lot of fun to just play in short bursts. It's not a super long game, but I did really like this. And anyone who's in the Discord server knows uh, back in like June when I was playing this, I was just constantly sending little clips and screenshots and stuff, just being like, look at this shit. This is so cool. Look at this skeleton. So this is a real treat. I highly recommend it. Bleak Sword DX. Now let's move to the next honorable mention. Let's listen to a bit of music.
You've heard of Coffee Talk, but what about Coffee Golf? Coffee Golf is a daily game. It is akin to Wordle. Remember Wordle? Lots of people put Wordle on their 2022 Game of the Year list because Wordle took the world and friend groups and group chats by storm. Wordle has kind of receded a little bit. There's still a lot of people playing it, but I don't see it everywhere I go like I used to. But now we have Coffee Golf. And Coffee Golf is the new, in my opinion, best daily shareable game. So Coffee Golf is by Shallot Games. It is a free mobile golf game. You have to download it. Unlike Wordle, you have to download it, but it's free. There are no obtrusive ads or anything like that. And what Coffee Golf is, is every day you get one golf course made up of five holes to play. You get a driver, you get a wedge, you get a putter, and you can take on the holes in any order that you want. So within this very simple setup, you have a little bit of strategy to try to finish the five holes in the fewest strokes possible. And then once you're done, you get a little shareable Wordle-esque scorecard that you can copy and send to your friends. And this has taken over multiple group chats that I'm in with different friend groups it's taken over entire Discord servers that I'm a part of. And I kind of like stayed away for a while because I, I just didn't really, not that I didn't see the appeal, but it was just like, eh, I don't need that. But one day I decided to give it a download and silly me because I had forgotten, somehow I forgot that every single golf game I've ever played has been awesome. So why would this be any different? The thing that I think makes coffee golf such an easy game to get into is the fact that it's such a low time commitment. You have the five hole course. And if you're taking your time in the course, really plotting out your shots, strategizing, it might take you five minutes. And even when you go into the new tournaments where you can play head to head against people online, those go by even quicker. So it's a low time commitment, it's free, and also golf games slap. So really low barrier to entry, very easy to pick up, very hard to put down. So for that reason, Coffee Golf is in the honorable mentions for 2023. Let's listen to some music from the next honorable mention. The next honorable mention for best games from 2023 is Dead Space, the remake. So I never played the original Dead Space. I thought that I would never play it, and technically I'm still correct. I never played the original Dead Space because I thought it looked too scary. And anyone who's been following the podcast has slowly, over time, gone on this journey of discovering that horror games are good and they offer a lot beyond horror, beyond scary shit. And after playing Resident Evil 4, which was on my Best Games of 2022 episode, the original Resident Evil 4, I realized that, yeah, these games might be scary. They might have some jump scares every now and then, but uh, mechanically, they have a lot to offer. So this was not high on my priority list for a while, 
Uh, but then I played another game this year that is similar. Little hint for later. That's what they call a tease in the biz. I figured, eh, you know what? Maybe I'll give that Dead Space a go. They just remade that. I saw screenshots. It looks incredible. And I had already spoiled myself on the story because I thought I'd never play it. Shout out to our friends over at Play Along Podcast for their episode about Dead Space. And so I just kind of threw this in the Patreon poll for October when I was looking for a scary game to play and Dead Space 1 because there's a lot of Dead Space sickos out there. So gave it a go and what do you know? It surprised me in a couple of ways. Number one, the gameplay, very satisfying. Uh, I suppose I shouldn't have been surprised that cutting off limbs and stomping on heads would be satisfying, but it's fun. Uh, the other thing that surprised me is despite very good audio and visual design, this game was not very scary. So I don't know that that helped me complete it. That's the reason why it's not in the top five, I'll say, because I think that the scares really wear out their welcome and get repetitive at a certain point. But that doesn't mean that this game isn't awesome. I had a good time with it and it's worthy of being in the honorable mentions. Shout out to Motive Studio for a good remake that by all accounts fixes everything that people didn't like about the original game and just touches up the rest of it to, you know, like I said, make it look modern, make it feel modern to play, etc. So if you want to check out the full podcast episode, that's episode 92 of Tales from the Backlog about Dead Space with Chris, aka Vertigo to Hell, who I mentioned earlier. Shout out to Chris. So that is Dead Space. Let us listen to a little bit of music from the next honorable mention. Hi-Fi Rush was episode 77 of the podcast featuring Kevin from Save the Game Media. Shout out to Kevin. Thank you for joining me for that. Hi-Fi Rush, I think I'm going to echo the same story that a lot of people have about Hi-Fi Rush. I had no idea what this game was. I had no idea that it was even a thing that was going to release. When they shadow dropped this, I think everyone was surprised by it. And so I saw the shadow drop, I saw the comparisons to some other games that I hadn't played at the time. You know, some people said, oh, this looks like Sunset Overdrive, or this looks like some other action game, like A Devil May Cry or something that I haven't played. So I was kind of like, eh, whatever, but it was on Game Pass. So shadow drop, hype, on Game Pass, easy to try. So why not? And then as soon as I picked it up, I realized, oh, this isn't just like, aesthetic hype because it has this very stylized cartoony vibe to the visuals this isn't aesthetic and shadow drop hype this is a very very well-made video game it's a rhythm game and it's a character action game two things that seem like when you put them together it would be really hard to succeed at that game you know due to my heritage rhythm might not be my best feature so they did a lot of really good and smart design decisions to help you. Lots of visual cues to keep you on the rhythm, lots of audio cues to help you find the rhythm, and a non-punitive combat system for when you swing off the beat, you still hit stuff, you can still succeed, 
It's just hitting on the beat gives you bonuses. The other part that I think really rocks about Hi-Fi Rush is you're playing a rhythm game that's set to music. Well, what if the music sucks? Then do you want to play that game? And the answer would probably be no, not really. But the music in Hi-Fi Rush is great. You've got soundtracks from famous bands. You've got Nine Inch Nails. You've got the Black Keys, all kinds of stuff. There's also lots of original music in the game that's excellent. So I really have like a lot of praise for the design of Hi-Fi Rush. It ended up being a fun game. I really enjoyed it. It's in my honorable mentions through no fault of its own, really. It's just a very solid game, very worth being in this top 10. And if you'd like to hear more, once again, there was a full episode of the podcast, episode 77. And hey, here's some people that agree with me. Matt, aka Stormageddon, who is a patron from many podcasts, Fun and Games, Reignite, and Screen Snark Podcast. Again, I think you can fit a couple more podcasts in there, Matt. Matt's number three from 2023 was Hi-Fi Rush, number two, Sea of Stars, and number one, Alan Wake 2. And we also have Alex from First Five on YouTube. You can check out Alex on an upcoming episode of Tales from the Backlog about this war of mine coming in February. Stay tuned. Alex's number three from 2023 was Slay the Princess, number two, Hi-Fi Rush, and number one, Against the Storm. So thank you, Alex. Let's listen to some music from the final honorable mention. The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. This was my most anticipated game of 2023 by a wide margin. I went to the fucking midnight release. I am 30 or 40 years old, and I went to a midnight release to pick up Tears of the Kingdom. I got it. I took it home. I played it until the late hours of the night. I took the next day off work so I could play it more. And I played, and I played... And then I played a little bit less, and I played a little bit less, and I put it down in July, and haven't played it since. Now, it's still on the honorable mentions list, because this game is awesome. I think it's a great game. The way that they made this all work on the Switch, this this has one of the most complex interaction, uh, immersive, problem-solving physics and like material systems I've ever seen in a video game and like I don't think I've ever played a game or seen a game that inspires so many people to go on Twitter and be like the people at Nintendo are magicians how the hell did they make this work I think that the storytelling in Tears of the Kingdom is much more compelling than it was in Breath of the Wild I was really enjoying going through and finding the let's say memories of you know what's going on with Zelda in the story, in Tears of the Kingdom. Love that. I love playing around with these powers that seemingly break the game wide open for you. The The ability to use the ascend power to just phase through anything that's above you and come out on the top of it, it's magic and it gives you power as a player 
that most games would be terrified of you having. Tears of the Kingdom gives this all to you, and to be honest, I think the reason I put it down was because it's a little bit overwhelming with how much you can do, how much they added to it compared to Breath of the Wild. There is just that thing that kept me from continuing to play it, despite really liking it and having so many points of praise. There's something going on. Luckily, I have a podcast where I can kind of dig into that with somebody else. There's going to be an episode upcoming. I've got it on my gaming backlog resolutions list for 2024. We have a a challenge in our Discord server coming for 2024. Anyone who's got stuff in the backlog that they're looking for, you know, a kick in the pants to go play, you can join us. I have Tears of the Kingdom on mine. I'm going to finish it. I'll do a podcast episode. We'll talk about these things. But for now, I will say it's not in my top five because I am nowhere close to finished with it. But it is in my honorable mentions because it's a great game. So that's Tears of the Kingdom, and stay tuned for more on that in 2024. And hey, here's some people that agree with me. Ratboy. Ratboy's number three is Coffee Golf. Number two is Tears of the Kingdom. And number one is the Immaculate Grid, which if you don't know, the Immaculate Grid is for real sports sickos. Uh, It is a three by three grid. And on the top rows, they'll put some teams. And on the bottom rows, they'll put some teams. And you have to find players that played for the teams where the two, you know, columns and rows intersect. Uh, It's great. They have those for baseball, basketball, football, soccer, women's sports, all kinds of stuff. The Immaculate Grid rules, I play it almost every day. So shout out. Good call there, Rat Boy. Next up is Snack Taku. Snack Taku's a patron. Thank you, Snack Taku. Number three is blank. So I'm going to say that, uh, let's say Snack Taku really loved Spider-Man. I don't know if Snack Taku played Spider-Man, but they left number three blank, so they gave me the power. Number two is Homebody, which I hear is great. And number one, Tears of the Kingdom. Next up is Adam, aka Desba. Adam's number three, Spider-Man 2. Number two, Starfield. And number one, Tears of the Kingdom. Next up, Dischimera from the Game Over Hell YouTube channel. Dischimera's number three is Super Mario RPG. Number two is Tears of the Kingdom, and number one is Chained Echoes. Now, Chained Echoes is an interesting one, because it would be in my top five, guaranteed. It came out in December of 2022, which, you know, I had already made my 2022 year in review podcast by the time I got into Chained Echoes, so it could have gone on the 2023 year list, uh, but I included my thoughts about Chained Echoes in that Best Games from Other Years episode that I did that's on the Patreon. So, Dischimera, shout out, Chained Echoes fucking rocks. You are correct. Next up is Jared from Play Along Podcast. Jared's number three is Lies of P, which I hope to play next year. Number two, Baldur's Gate 3. And number one, Tears of the Kingdom. Next is Mikey Tabletop from the Owen 2 Heroes Podcast. Mikey's number three is Street Fighter 6. Number two, Metroid Prime Remastered. And number one, you guessed it, Tears of the Kingdom. And last but not least for this section, we have Will from the Friday Night Gamecast. Will's number three is, as he puts, Chai's Totally Awesome Adventure, aka Hi-Fi Rush. 
Number two, Spider-Man 2. And number one, Tears of the Kingdom. So lots of people really love Tears of the Kingdom. Again, it is a great game. So that ends the honorable mention section. Now we're down to the top five, my favorite games from 2023. And these are in order. I put these in a deliberate order. So let's listen to some music from number five. My number five game from 2023 is Like a Dragon Gaiden, The Man Who Erased His Name. I'm recording a Tales from the Backlog episode in a couple of days about this game, and I cannot wait to talk about it. Now, it's kind of a foregone conclusion that if a new Yakuza game comes out, it's probably going to be on my end of the year list because I love the series and, crucially, Ryuga Gotoku doesn't fuck up. They make good games. All how many have I played at this point? Nine? Ten. All ten of the Yakuza games that I've played are awesome. I like them all. So it's not a surprise that there is a game on the series on the uh, list from this series, but it was kind of a surprise that this game is to me. You know, I said Ishin was in the games that didn't make the top ten. I liked that game. I just like this one more. It's surprising because this is a almost a spin-off side story like this is what happens with Kiryu in between Yakuza 6 and 7. So it feels like this could have been filler, you know? Like this this game didn't need to exist if you know what I mean. And so if that was kind of all it was, if it was like play another game as Kiryu do a nice little, you know, bite-sized Yakuza story because this game is about half as long as most of the games in the series. So it's like do a, a little story, beat some people up, shove someone's head in a microwave, throw a motorcycle at somebody, you know, as you do in the Yakuza games, then this game wouldn't be in the top 10. But what it turned out to be is a game that has all of like the wild spectacle and the melodrama that people love this series for. But it also included lots of callbacks to Kiryu's history, because he was the protagonist of the series for two decades before Ichiban came into it. And it turned out to be one of the more reflective and, how do I want to say this? Like, the story was told with a gentler hand, and it seemed like a more introspective story than a lot of the Yakuza stories. Uh, the Yakuza stories are built on spectacle and melodrama and backstabbing and you saw a guy die, but he comes back 20 hours later, he's not dead, stuff like that. And this game has a lot of that stuff too. But what it also has is character exploration to a point that I've never really seen in the series before. So, uh, oh, and the combat feels better to play than it has in any of the brawler action combat Yakuza games up until this point. So because it exceeded my, not only exceeded my expectations from a storytelling perspective, from a character development and character, you know, 
exploration perspective that I had going into this game in particular, this Yakuza 6.5 game, it exceeded the expectations for those storytelling things that I go into any Yakuza game with. I don't expect this series to really dig deep into a character's inner thoughts and feelings. I expect to put people's heads in microwaves. <laughs> and I expect all of that crime drama and stuff. So this is a big surprise to me, but a, a welcome surprise. I really, really enjoyed this. And I cannot wait to do this podcast episode because if you've played this game and you beat it, and you saw the end, you know what I'm talking about. So that is all I'll say for now about Like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who erased his name. Stay tuned in 2024 for the full episode. Let's listen to some music from number four on the top five. Jusan is number four. And this is by Don't Nod. This was not a game I was planning on playing. I didn't even really know that this game was coming out, but it has a familiar kind of refrain, similar to what I said about Hi-Fi Rush earlier. I saw the trailer when I first heard about it. It looked cool. I like uh, games where you climb, like call me a lizard, smooth brain, you know, game enjoyer, but I like climbing in games like Uncharted and the new God of Wars and stuff like that. I like it. But in those games, you don't like do anything when you climb. You just hold the like climb or free running button and hold up. Assassin's Creed, same stuff. When I saw that Jusant is about like making you go through the, the, the minute actions of climbing, like literally you press a button for every handhold and every jump and every rappel down and stuff like that. When I saw that, plus the fact that Don't Nod is making it and what they're known for, I thought, okay, we'll give that a try sometime. Oh shit, it's on Game Pass? All right, well, I'll go ahead and give that a go now. And I could not stop playing it. I was just totally enraptured by it. So the climbing mechanics are engaging, and this is particularly important because Don't Nod, I think, has a a reputation out there where they make games that are like vibes and story first and like particularly vibes like people are like oh don't nod they're the vibes people and i think that's a little bit reductive of the other games that i've played like i liked vampire a lot and i liked it for a mechanical level story i mean the vibes in that game are awesome of course same with life is strange but none of those games really had super engaging mechanics. Vampire has like a bloodborne light combat system, but it, it's it's okay. It's fine. Jusant is the game that I think merged their really great, you know, atmospheric design, their environmental storytelling, their, you know, this this uh, intangible vibe quality with second to second engaging gameplay. A lot of games present you with challenges where you're supposed to feel a sense of accomplishment or relief when you get through those challenges. And 
Boy, I talked about one of those games in the favorite games that didn't release in 2023 episode. Jusant is a little bit less intense than that game, but all the same, it is full of little challenges that take effort and planning and execution on your part to do. And then when you get to that next resting place, or when you get to that next little alcove where you can go up, get some environmental storytelling, maybe you want to read the journals and piece together the story of the characters who used to live here. You feel that sense of accomplishment, and you feel all of those other things that Don't Nod is really known for. So for that reason, Jusant is easy in my top five. And hey, here are some people that agree with me. Soccer who's one of the patrons and a great community member of ours. Soccer's number three is Jusant. Number two, Meg's Monster. Number one, Pikmin 4. And an honorable mention to Dredge. Next up is Narita Boy. Narita Boy's number three is the Lamplighters League. And I'm happy to see that in a top three. I hope nothing but the best for that studio. They made some of my favorite games in the uh, Shadowrun series before. So number three was the Lamplighters League, number two is Cocoon, and number one, Jusan. Let's listen to some music from number three in the top ten. Number three in the top ten for 2023 is Blasphemous 2. Blasphemous 2 by The Game Kitchen is episode 98 of Tales from the Backlog with special guest Chris Nelson. Thank you, Chris. We'll hear from Chris in a couple of minutes. When Blasphemous 2 was announced, I wasn't quite sure that it was, quote, necessary. And there's always a little bit of, not regret, but a little feeling of wishing some of these companies Supergiant is another example wishing some of these companies that have done multiple different like IP projects that I really enjoyed like I thought the I thought the last door had some issues from the game kitchen but overall I I think that's a good game great story great aesthetics music etc and the first blasphemous game same thing I liked that game more. I actually really like the first Blasphemous game. So when Blasphemous 2 was announced, there was a little bit of wishing like, oh, I wish they had just done something new instead of making a sequel. On the other hand, I can't fault the Game Kitchen or, like I said, Supergiant for chasing basically the financial security that a sequel could provide over something brand new and i was lucky enough to get a review code from the publisher team 17 so thank you for that and as soon as i started playing all of those little like worries in my head just completely out gone kicked out forever because blasphemous 2 is fantastic it is almost everything that i loved about blasphemous 1 and then everything that i didn't like about blasphemous 1 has been improved a lot of people criticize Blasphemous 1 for having difficult platforming sections on top of kind of a uh, punishing checkpoint system with these like instant death spikes or instant death bottomless pits, etc. Those are not there in Blasphemous 2. 
Blasphemous 1 did not have the most rewarding exploration. A lot of the items you picked up were basically useless. Uh, Kickstarter backer rewards. Blasphemous 2 does not have that. Everything you pick up in Blasphemous 2 is rewarding. And both of these feel like, you know, minor to medium level changes within the design of a Metroidvania. But since it is a Metroidvania, giving you better rewards for exploring and not punishing you so much during difficult platforming as you backtrack through the map many, many times as you go secret hunting and find new paths that your new abilities can open up, etc. It's just these small little tweaks just elevate it as a gameplay experience. And then you still have all of the fucked up Catholic horror pixel art, all of the awesome music. So it's really, really good. I really enjoyed it. Worthy of being in the top five, in my opinion. If you are somebody who likes Metroidvanias, this is a no-brainer. The only point of criticism that I can really throw at Blasphemous 2 is that it feels like they used all of their best boss designs, and I'm not talking about mechanics, I mean literal what they look like in the first game. And so Blasphemous 2, you fight a bunch of guys as bosses. It is a minor concern in the grand scheme of things. This is a no-brainer if you like Metroidvanias, and if you liked Blasphemous 1, absolutely play this, it rocks. And again, if you like to hear more, you can listen to the Tales from the Backlog episode, episode 98. And hey, here's someone who agrees with me. Guess who? It's Chris N. Thank you for being a patron, Chris, and I will read your top three. So Chris's number three is Blasphemous 2. I'm glad that the episode we did together, I'm glad that game made it in your top three. Number two is Tears of the Kingdom, and number one for Chris is Sea of Stars. So hell yeah, we've only got two games left in the top 10. Two games left in the episode. Let's listen to some music from number two. Oh yeah! Number two is Resident Evil 4 Remake. Just like the original Resident Evil 4, which made it into my top 10 for 2022, RE4 Remake makes it in the top 10, the top two, this year. This was episode 76 of Tales from the Backlog. I was joined by just incredible guests, incredible horror sickos, Adam Bucheri from Halftone Takes Podcast, and Jala Prendes from Jalachan's Place and The Level Podcast. So thank you both for joining me. We had about a three-hour discussion about the Resident Evil 4 remake, and I think the best way to lead why this game is in the top two is number one, the original Resident Evil 4 is still great. It is a great game that did not need to be remade for gameplay purposes or story purposes, or anything like that. There was nothing about that game that was broken and crying to be remade. So, once you hear that they are going to remake a game that doesn't need to be remade, a game that's still awesome, what do you want from the remake? And I kind of covered this on another Tales from the Backlog episode in 2023 with the guys from Offshore Gamescast, Dylan and Dave. We talked about remakes and what you want from them. And what you want from a game like this is you want them to 
modernize things, but preserve the spirit of the original, because the spirit of the original is still the spirit of a very good game. And the remake from 2023 is a slam dunk in this perspective. It updates the gameplay. In the original game, you couldn't move and shoot at the same time. The remake, you can move and shoot, but they still want you to plant and shoot. You're incentivized for doing that. But you can move, and to compensate for that, the enemies that used to you know, shamble along really slowly are faster. They're great enemies, by the way. The Ganados in Resident Evil 4 and the remake, just fantastic basic level enemies. And that spirit of the original... I think the, the key thing that they wanted to translate is the original wanted to put you in this pulse-pounding, frenetic pace of action where you're making decisions every second about which enemy to shoot, which body part on that enemy to shoot, which gun to use when you shoot them. And then that, you know, in the original game, you couldn't run and shoot. So it's okay, I need to pick up and move to another spot and then start over. The remake preserves all of that perfectly. It keeps the dynamic difficulty that makes sure that you're always in that sweet spot of feeling like you're up against it, but never being in an unwinnable situation. It's a really, really elegant difficulty system. And Ashley is a lot better. There's no more Leon! She's actually like a real person in the RE4 remake, which is great. So this game, I think, easy, fantastic game. I would give it, you know, if I gave scores, I would give it the highest score that I could give it. It is a fantastic game. It's a fantastic remake. And we'll put this alongside some of the other Resident Evil remakes as like shining standards that other companies should look to when remaking beloved games from the past. So that's all about Resident Evil 4 Remake. Again, check out that episode 76 with Adam and Jala for more on that. And hey, here's some people that agree with me. Jala from Jala-chan's place and The Level. Thank you, Jala. Jala's number three is Street Fighter 6 from 2023. Number two, Decarnation, which is a game I plan on playing in 2024. And number one, Resident Evil 4 Remake. And I, once again, Jala, you're on the episode with me. I'm glad that it made your top three. <laughs> Next up is Thrak from the 3DO Experience podcast. Thrak's number three is Dead Space. Number two, Hi-Fi Rush. And number one, Resident Evil 4 Remake. And Thrak, you have the enlightened opinion, the correct opinion. Dead Space is good, but RE4 is better. Next up is Dog Nozzle, who's one of our patrons. Thank you, Dog Nozzle. Number three for Dog Nozzle is Hi-Fi Rush. Number two is Resident Evil 4 Remake. And number one, Alan Wake 2. And last but not least, we have Nomad from the Retro Wildlands podcast. Nomad's number three is Super Mario RPG. Number two, Super Mario Wonder. And number one, Resident Evil 4 Remake. So it's all come down to this. Do you know what game's going to be number one? Can you guess? I've talked about a lot of great games so far. Which one have I not talked about yet? Let's listen to some music 
And when we come back, we'll talk about the number one game from 2023. Baldur's Gate 3 is the number one game of 2023. And I can confidently say that with the exception of maybe last year, because Elden Ring was such an event and such a special game for me, you put Baldur's Gate 3 in a lot of other years, it's still number one. 2023 has been full of a lot of great stuff. I've talked about all the great stuff I've played. I talked about all the great games that I didn't play. No doubt in my mind, for a second, that Baldur's Gate 3 was going to be number one. And even before the game came out, even when it was in early access, even when it was, it felt like it was kind of under the radar, I knew it was going to be great because Larian Studios don't miss. Divinity Original Sin 1 and 2 are two of the best games I've ever played. And so adding in these long-established world-building of the Forgotten Realms in Dungeons and Dragons, all it took, <laughs> like I say this like it's nothing, all it took was for Larian to just not fuck this up. But they didn't. When I kind of break down games and think about you know, the, the individual components of them, you think about the storytelling, you think about combat mechanics, you think about character building in an RPG, you think about voice acting, music, graphics. Baldur's Gate 3 really excels in every area. There's nothing that I can point to and say, I wish they would have did this differently. The only thing that I can point to with Baldur's Gate 3, I suppose, is that I still don't think Dungeons & Dragons is the best tabletop system for video games. I think there are limitations that don't quite fit as perfectly as they could. But that's a D&D &D problem. That's not a Baldur's Gate problem, if that makes sense. What Baldur's Gate 3 does really well would take me a really long time to go through it all. So stay tuned in the future. It will be a future episode of the podcast. I'm almost done with it. Like I'm, I'm well past the point where I'm comfortable putting it at number one. I have like like two side quests left and then just finishing the main quest. I'm very deep in it over 90 hours played. And I'm starting to see one of the most ambitious branching storylines come together. In every storyline that had been running for the entire game, individual character storylines, side quest storylines, main quest storylines, characters that, you know, in a lot of RPGs, you might do a side quest for somebody in act one or in, in the first you know, 10 hours or something, and then you will never see that character again. You will never remember that character. Baldur's Gate 3 brings these people back and continues their stories instead of just putting it as, you know, you completed their one side quest and now that person is effectively dead to you. Baldur's Gate 3 weaves all of these things together to a point where I, just imagining the logistics of planning out all of these storylines and that would be impressive if every storyline could only go one way but Baldur's Gate 3 also has like almost unprecedented levels of choice with how you 
complete these quests, how you deal with these people, how you solve these problems. This is a real accomplishment. And this, I haven't even talked about the content of what you're doing, which is really satisfying and awesome. You know, if D&D is great at anything, it is giving like fertile ground for adventuring and monsters and problems to solve, we'll say. Baldur's Gate 3 is full of that stuff. The combat in Baldur's Gate 3 is incredibly deep and satisfying and strategic turn-based combat. There is not a single combat encounter that you can just click, 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 click your way through. Everything takes strategy, everything takes planning, but not too much. This isn't like a game where you're just going to get destroyed if you don't have, you know, one of the three character builds that are actually good. They've set it up in a way where you need to strategize, you need to take advantage of the skills that your party has, but also you have so much freedom for how to build your party and everything seems to be good. I haven't run across any character, any of them, that I've taken out into combat and been like, this character sucks, they have nothing. And even if I take a character out and I'm like, I'm not really a fan of like the skills that they have, you can go respect them for pennies, basically. Unlimited times, build everything the way you want. It is just fantastic. The final piece, the final thing I want to say, and perhaps this should have been step one, this should have been the first thing that told me that this was going to be special, is... This year, 2023, I played Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. I did them both on the podcast. Baldur's Gate 1 episode was with Phil from Deleted Saves. Baldur's Gate 2 episode was with Brian from Pixelated Playgrounds. And in both of those episodes, I criticized Bioware and Beamdog for basically not giving a shit if the player learned anything about the systems during the game. They went into the game assuming that either A, you had a bachelor's degree in D&D 2nd edition, or that you were willing to read and internalize an absolute tome of a game manual. So for me, who is neither of those things, I am not a D&D expert and I am not willing to read and memorize a 200-page manual. I'm not going to do it. Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 were pushing me away. They were difficult to love the way that I think I could if things had gone differently in the past. Baldur's Gate 3 went to tremendous lengths so that people like me, people who maybe had never played an RPG like this before, anyone who's willing to read the stuff that's on the screen, basically, can get into it, can learn. They have this wonderful nesting doll of a, a glossary system where... Let's say you just learned a spell. You want to learn what that spell does. So you hover over the spell with your mouse and it tells you, this spell gives your characters the heroic status. So I don't know what heroic means, so I can mouse over the heroic word and it will tell me what that means. And if there's a word in that definition that I don't know, you know, proper nouns, there's thousands of proper nouns to learn. If I don't know what that is, I can mouse over that and learn about that. And then I get to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm good. I know all of this stuff now. It was clearly a point of emphasis for them. And it is so appreciated because this is a very complex game. And this is the piece that makes it all work. They want you to succeed. They want you to learn. So for all of those things, 
the fact that they want you to be able to play. They want you to be able to learn with any level of D&D experience. All of these complex storylines, wonderful characters with great backstories and incredible voice acting, all accolades that these voice actors got were well-deserved. Deep combat system. By the way, suck it to anybody who thought turn-based combat couldn't succeed, because this is turn-based combat sickos turn-based combat. All of those things together make Baldur's Gate 3 easily, hands down, by a wide margin. The best game I played this year, the best game from 2023, and I think a game that we're going to look back on as one of the greatest games ever made. And hey, don't take my word for it. Here are some people that agree with me. Aaron, who is one of my co-hosts on a top three podcast. Top three are Diablo 4, number two, Tears of the Kingdom, and number one, Baldur's Gate 3. Dave C., who's a patron, a fellow Dave. What up, Dave? Dave has uh, one, 2A, and 2B. So 2B is Baldur's Gate 3. 2A is Tears of the Kingdom, and number one is Octopath Traveler 2, which I'm very excited to play sometime. I hear it is great. Next up is Randall, who's another fellow patron. Thank you, Randall. Number three, Baldur's Gate 3. Number two, Risk of Rain Returns. And number one, Cyberpunk 2077, Phantom Liberty. I cannot wait to play Cyberpunk. It's, you know, actually, as soon as I beat Baldur's Gate 3, it's Cyberpunk time. Next up, Chris Taylor from Lightning Strikes Thrice podcast. Number three, I don't know how to say this word. Beton? Brutal. B-E-T-O-N. Anyway, that's number three. I'm not going to try to pronounce it a different way. I'll probably just be wrong in a much worse way. (laughs) That's number three. Number two, The Murder of Sonic the Hedgehog. And number one, Baldur's Gate 3. Honorable mention from Chris to Dead Space and the Steam release of Dwarf Fortress. And last but not least, we have Retro Vixie. Number three, Tears of the Kingdom. Number two, Dredge. And number one, Baldur's Gate 3. Fist bump. Awesome. So that is the end of 2023. This is the final episode of 2023. This is the end of the best games of 2023 list. And I thank you for listening all the way to the end. Hopefully you discovered some games on the list that you maybe didn't hear about or just didn't know much about. Or maybe I changed your mind about something that you should try. But if you want to chat about the list, if you want to chat about the episode, or if you just want to join a thriving and friendly community, you can join the Tube Podcast Network Discord server. You'll find a link down in the show notes. You can support the show uh, by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Podcast Addict. That way, when people search 2023 Game of the Year, they might find this episode, and that would be highly appreciated. And one more time... You can support monetarily on Patreon at patreon.com slash realdavejackson, and that is the place where you can hear the best games that didn't come out in 2023, but that I played for the first time in 2023 podcast. It's been an awesome year of video gaming. I always say that every day is the best time to be a fan of video games. I can't wait for 2024. I have some games on my most anticipated list that I think are going to absolutely rule, and I know, just like this year, 
there are going to be games that come out of nowhere, like Hi-Fi Rush and Jusant and Bleak Sword DX, that I had no idea would be so good. Every year we have so many of those games, more than we'll ever have time to play. So I'm looking forward to those too, and I'm looking forward to next year on the podcast. So thank you all for listening. Tune in next week for the next game to come out of the backlog. <laughs>